All right. Well, if you're sick of me already, you're about to get more. I know you all were happy when you walked in and I wasn't up front and then I was hiding out in the back, so sorry about that. Isn't that cool to look at a hymn kind of in two different, two different angles like that? That was a really neat um, arrangement that David Crowder did with that and then to see it kind of in its original form, it just really holds something valuable um, in, either, in either way. Good to see you this morning. I told, I told uh, the first service I'm feeling a little, little funky up here. I don't know if you can tell, I've got a few microphones on me. And I don't really know why they do this to me. I, I refuse to wear the, the Britney Spears mic that Todd wears every week, you know. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a price for everything, and, and they just couldn't come up with the money I was asking for. Uh, so instead, they've got me, I, I think it's just a joke on me, they've got me wired with all these microphones. I feel like I'm like on an undercover sting operation kind of thing. So I just want to be upfront with you. I'm wired. I'm mic'd. I've got a lot, uh, yeah, a lot of microphones going on. So, a um, couple notes just before we start uh, and get into things. I noticed in this service especially, uh, there's always a few kids I see, elementary school age kids. And so I just wanted to throw out to you, uh, we have a fabulous junior church program. I tried to get my wife, who works with it, to come up and share a bit about it, but she doesn't like to get up here on stage at all. Uh, so I just thought I'd throw it out. If you have kids in here that are elementary school age and you haven't gotten to experience uh, the junior church program that happens during this service, I would encourage you to get over there. It's a really neat group of leaders and kids. They actually just had their talent show. They do a talent show every year, uh, and it was a fun time. It's really a time for the kids to just let loose and be kids. And there was everything from the Bushman's dog, Tank, who is about this big. He's from the Sandlot, or he's related to the Sandlot dog. Uh, Jamie was riding that dog. There was a bad to the bone. This guy all uh, toughed out. What, what else? The, the Verbals and uh, Gorski had the band thing going on. And uh, they were called the Toaster toaster or something. Toaster Pastries. It was quite a talent show. Uh, it was a good time for those kids. So anyway, if you do have kids in here, just so you know, it's a really cool elementary school age uh, thing going on during the service. Uh, d- did want to acknowledge, if you didn't know, Todd is gone, and he is left for Israel for a few weeks. And so be thinking of him. I think he's en route right now uh, to Israel, and he will be gone for a few weeks. I know he'll be back for Easter and Good Friday and all that, so look forward to that. So you're stuck with me today. It was, we drew straws, and I, and I got it. I was thinking about, um, actually, Israel. I was thinking about going to Israel because I actually went to Israel once upon a time when I was in sixth grade. My father worked for an airline called TWA, and I realized first service, some of you may not even know that airline because it no longer exists, but my dad worked for TWA, the airline, for uh, like 30 years. Actually, my dad's dad and his father before him, I think my great-grandfather was like the Wright brothers or something, <laughs> but truly, honestly though, my dad and my, my dad's dad, my grandfather, both worked for TWA, and so I had the privilege growing up of being able to fly to a lot of places for free. And when I had a, a three-day weekend or something, my dad would just say, hey, let's go to Europe. And we'd do it. We'd just make a quick trip out of it. And one week, uh, I think I was in sixth grade, and yeah, we had a three-day weekend, and my dad said, hey, let's go to Israel. And I said, sure, let's do it. Reminiscing on traveling with my dad this week, as I was thinking about Todd going to Israel. And, you know, when my dad was in an airport growing up, he, he was a man on a mission. 
He was a man with a direction. It just seemed like whenever we traveled, my brother and I were always running to keep up with my dad. And really, there was no reason for him to be running or walking so fast, because really, we were just going to the gate to wait to see if we could get on a flight standby. But my dad was always, cru- and so we were always with our bags and trying to keep up with, you know, our dad, and we'd be like crying probably, because we had to go through all these airports and all sorts of stories. My dad was a man on a mission. But, you know, something happened one day when I was about uh, 18. I was a senior in high school, and I went to England with my English class. And my dad came along for a few days, and I'm in the airport with my dad. And first time ever, I remember, I'm looking for my dad up in front of me, walking through the airport, and he wasn't in front of me. And I turn around, and he was was trying to keep up with me, you know? There was this there was this changing of the guard thing. It was suddenly suddenly I was I was the one on man on a mission. Who knows why I was going so fast? I was like, Dad, are you keeping up with me? Could this possibly be happening happening? We've been chasing you through airports since we were little. Um, but he kind of passed that on to me. A man on a mission. When I so when I go traveling, I'm always moving at that pace. We're going to talk a little bit about this word mission and this idea of maybe missional living and what it means for us. Uh, which means we are going to take a brief pause from Acts. And I, I think that's only fair, since Todd has set us up with this five-year series, that um, <laughs> it's like, Todd, okay, I mean, how long are you going to drag this thing out? I don't know, but all I do know is that when Todd's out of the country, we're going to just do something different, okay? <laughs> just tell him, he gave me some chapter in Acts, just tell him we did it, and, you know, just be our little secret. We'll take a, I love Todd, okay? I'll show you know that, I love Todd. <laughs> um, Todd's been talking through the book of Acts, and he, he said last week, you know, we have this Acts 1 through 12, and what we're going to see in Acts 1 through 12 is um, the Christian mission to Jewish people, yes? Um, the Christian outreach to Jewish people, and he, he promised us that Acts 13 and on, we'll see the Christian mission to the Gentiles, or the non, non-Jewish people. So this idea of mission has already been kind of set up, and... He also gave us a scripture last week. We, we call it the Great Commission, something Jesus uh, taught at the end of his time on earth. And Jesus seemed to leave in this Great Commission some kind of clear and specific mission for the church, specifically his disciples. And this was the scripture we had last week out of Matthew. It said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey. So it makes a lot of sense in hearing Jesus set up the disciples this way, that at the beginning points of church history, um, the focus, the mission, the primary task for these disciples was to share this gospel, was to share this good news with the world to reach those who had not yet heard the message and share with them the message of, of Christ. It was the primary task. Jesus kind of set it up that way. And we have to think in the context of the Jewish religion at the time that this is, this is kind of a new thought for the Jewish people in some ways. They weren't, you know, there were a lot of religious practices on the scene in the time of Jesus and a lot of religious practices that wanted to spread the idea of their God to other people. You probably wouldn't throw the Jewish people in that category um, the Jewish people were probably at this time, we see a lot more about just, they want their independence. They want their nation. They want their people. They're a very in-group type people. They're not really out to promote and share their God with the world. They really just want to set themselves apart. 
So this attitude of take, take now this idea, this thought about God, about Jesus to the world, was kind of a new one that Jesus set up uh, with his disciples. So we're going to stick with this idea of mission. And, you know, what I find interesting is that with, with that kind of a mission, you know, go out and, and tell those and share with those who don't know the message of Jesus, there's an attitude that can creep in. And it's an attitude that often does um, happen with religious groups or is perceived in, within religious groups. And that is this attitude of us versus them. You know, we're the insiders, you're the outsiders. We've got, we've got, the, correct, um, we've got the correct righteousness, you're unrighteous. We're chosen, you're common. We're blessed, you're cursed. However you want to look at it. Sometimes this attitude can creep into this word mission, this attitude of it's us versus them. Even that word versus, like we're coming up against something, like it's a, like it's a, like it's a um, sporting contest. We have to beat these people. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is an attitude that shows up in church history, and even today. And with this word mission, it's interesting because if you asked around, maybe not in this room, but if you asked around people you know, uh, maybe people who aren't regular in church, the word mission, people might have a positive image of mission, or if you say mission, people might have a negative image of what that word presents to them. You know, it brings up different images. For us, probably immediately, we think of a lot of the things we're doing in terms of mission projects, and it, it's exciting. It should be. We see God at work there. But for many people, the word mission has a negative connotation. You know, it, it can conjure up images of Christians maybe crusading in the past and now, to, to save people at the expense of Jesus' message. You see, it's one thing to say, well, our task and our calling is to share this message, but how do we go about doing that? And often in the past, maybe the church can be guilty of neglecting Jesus' message in their approach. And so we can never forget the words of Jesus. His whole teaching, you know, which among that, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if, if you love one another. And there's a lot more that we'll go into with Jesus in a, in a little bit. So I think we can conclude, at least through that, that Jesus' mission wasn't for us solely just to make people who believe in him. I mean, remember Jesus said that even the demons believe. But maybe in a deeper sense, he desired people to follow his way of life. Followers of a way of living. So we'll get to that later. But the primary question for you to think about today is, what exactly is our task, our calling, our mission as believers, as followers of Christ? So we're going to look at that word mission in the context of the church, certainly, and our individual lives. But we're also going to paint a picture through scriptures. We're going to look back um, as early as God's covenant with Abraham and see if we can get an idea of what his dream, his mission for us is. And we'll also come back to Jesus. And I think Jesus is obviously the best one to inform us and in how we should go about. And ultimately, we can, maybe you can come up with some thoughts on how is it that you carry out mission in your life. Todd ended last week with this, with this quote. Todd Lanting, and I quote. Or I think I should put his name at the end. Sorry. Here's the quote. God wants you to bring the kingdom of God in Jesus' name to a world desperate for it. Todd Lanting, March 11, 2007. <laughs> Let me read that one more time. God wants you to bring the kingdom of God in Jesus' name to a world desperate for it. Todd Lanting, March 18, 2007. 
So this morning what we're going to do is maybe put some hands and feet on what it means to bring the kingdom of God. And to do that, we're going to backtrack a little bit. We're going to go all the way back to Abraham. And we're going to talk about this event where we have one of the early, most stunning examples of God's covenant with his people. What is covenant? You know, the first time I think I heard that word was Bob Dylan's song called Covenant Woman. It's a great tune. I think I danced with my wife to it at my wedding. Um, But covenant is a lot more than Bob Dylan's song. Covenant is the primary way we see God relating to humanity. So when we look back in the Old Testament, the story of Israel, covenant is the primary way that God enters into the scene and works with humanity. It's the mutual sacred promises between God and man. And so it's a really profound thing. On a deep level, this is a demonstration through covenant that God longs to know us and even that he longs to restore his creation. Covenant is a pattern we see um, with Abraham. We can say we see it with Moses and uh, Noah. We even certainly see it with King David. Um, and we're going to look at one specific instance, God and Abraham. It's, I think it may be on your bulletin. It's in Genesis 12. Let's see how God goes about establishing his covenant with Abraham and see if it gives us any clues. Here's what he says to Abraham. Verse 1 of Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, this is when he was Abram, not Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So first the command. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So let's break down those three verses just a little bit and figure out what exactly is God setting up for Abraham in this covenant. First thing I notice is that there's some kind of risk that Abraham has to enter into. Well, not even a little risk, a lot of risk, because the first thing God says is, leave your country, your people, leave everything you know, you're comfortable with, your town, your, you know, whatever you do, and take your father's household and go. It's a, a pretty big move of faith. So God calls Abraham to some kind of risk. Secondly, there's this promise of God. God promises great blessing. You know, I'm going to make you, Abraham, into this wonderful nation. I'm going to make you into this incredible people. And wouldn't it be easy to stop right there in the covenant? And, you know, a lot of times God's people did that. They stopped right there. They said, oh, wow, we're, we're, we're the special people. God's blessing us. He's, he's taking care of us. He chose us, among other people, to be his people. And he's going to bless us. It's in the covenant with Abraham. He will take care of us. But there's, you know, there's an, a third part to this. There's a really important part that we don't want to miss. And that is this. God also tells Abraham, you will be a blessing to others. All the earth, in fact, will be blessed through you. All the earth will be blessed through you. So in other words, Abraham, you you have a task and a mission to the world. And what is that? Well, you are representing me, the God of the universe. You're representing what my blessing looks like. You're representing the nature of God to all people. It's not just receiving my blessing. No, I've called you to something greater. I've called you to bless others. That's pretty profound. I was thinking about, as a parent, kind of an analogy. I have two children. 
who are perfect angels. Uh, one is Elijah. He is almost four years old. And then I have Annika. She's one. And I love my kids. They're incredible. And there's nothing like being a parent. I was thinking about your attitude towards your kids. You want to bless them. You want to give them your best. You want them to be happy and joyful and safe, and you want them to know the best in this world. And I started thinking about, well, why? Why is it that, that I want that? Well, yeah, sure, I want their happiness. That, I mean, that's why I treat them well. That's why I love them. That's why I, I try and show them what it means to, to love. Because, yeah, I want them to be happy. I want them to be joyful. I want the best for them. But beyond that, there's something else that I, I hope for. And that is, I hope that as they grow older and as they mature into adults, that somehow, some way, they will learn to bless others. I don't just want to give them the best because I want to bless them. No, as a father, I, I want them to learn to be a blessing to others. I want them to learn to treat others with love, um, to be giving, to be caring, to have, a, to have a purpose. You want all these things as a parent. And so you try and give them that so they can give it to others. So that when they're adults, in their marriage or in their friendships or in their work, they will be people who bless others. Of course, that's a hope as a parent. Well, we see a little bit of that in this covenant idea with God and Israel. God doesn't just want to bless. He wants to bless to be a blessing. So, as a church this morning, you saw through that video, and how about that video? I, you know, I was always saying, and John, I didn't get a confirmation last service. John did do that video, right? No one's giving me a nod. Yes? Okay, I got a thumbs up. You know, there's all these, there's all these young mavericks around here that are video editing. I think there's something special. John, as old as he's starting to get, <laughs> still shows he's on the cutting edge of, of video technology. That thing is sweet. Now, I... I know for some of you that was an ADD trip through, you know, headache. And you felt like you're like, what's up with the club music going on in that thing? But, you know, from a video perspective, there was just so much cool editing going on in there with the squares and Jack leapfrogging and the whole thing. Um, I have to smile when I see those videos, not because they're edited coolly, but because they are incredible projects that we as a church have felt led to and are investing in. I've been involved with uh, some of the camps, with the kids we take down to La Vida, with the Mexico VBS, three years running, and um, this year we're going down to Peru with the college group, and I'm really excited about that. It's another thing we're going to do, a VBS down there. And, you know, we try and be a bit unique in our approach, hopefully, to mission projects, because we aren't just saying, we don't want to be the church that just goes down to somewhere for a week, does a, does a, a small project, pats herself on the back, and come, comes home. Not that there's anything wrong with those projects, but in each of our missions, we've tried to establish a relationship and we are committed long term because we believe these people have something for us and, and uh, we have something for them. And so these are long term friends that we've come to know really well in Mexico and Peru over three, four, five plus years. And so it's a, a, a very special relationship and we go again and again to deepen our bond, um, even though sometimes we ask why. I was thinking, quick story. Maybe not quick, but we'll, I'll tell it anyway. Uh, I was thinking about Mexico. And, you know, I've been to Mexico three years. And two years, two years ago, uh, I invited my mom to come down, which was a perfect fit because my mom is from Colombia, so she's obviously fluent in Spanish. And not only that, my mom teaches second grade, so she's fabulous with kids. It was just a good fit to bring my mom down there. I was healthy the first year we went down. I never felt sick at all. 
The second year, I came down with whatever it is that you get in Mexico sometimes. Um, now, my wife says, I'm, when I get sick, I'm dramatic. I don't know about that. I just think I've almost died like six times. Uh, I really actually, I never, I never normally get sick ever. But when I get sick, I get really sick. You know, when I'm here, I, just, I never get sick. But this year, I got sick in Mexico. And I got really sick. And it was my birthday. Like, truly, it was my birthday. And everybody left me there to die. And um, on, the, on my half-inch, you know, mattress pad on a block of cement. And I'm thinking, yeah, I was really sick. And, you know, when your mom's down there, your mom's still your mom. She's, like, trying to take care of you. And nobody else cares. You know, they just left you there to rot. And my mom's like, oh, are you okay? And, you know, maybe she fed my being too dramatic when I get sick. I don't know. Um, you know, and for whatever reason, this year, two years ago, I came back early, I think because we had a service on Sunday that I was a part of, so I flew back a day early. And not only that, we had Elijah down there with us, and he was two then. And great idea, you know, bring your two-year-old down to Mexico. No, it was, it was great, but it, what was not great was traveling home. So I traveled home by myself with my two-year-old, sick the whole way. And, and, and the plane, your first leg out of Mexico is this plane that I don't know if it's been checked for the last 20 years. It just seems to absorb turbulence in a major way. So I'm getting shot around. I'm sick, running back to the lab every five minutes with my two-year-old, holding him up, holding the lab door, you know. And you're saying to yourself, what are we doing here? What, what kind of mission is this? You know, and what's funny about that is it seems like in all those type experiences, Sometimes the ones that are a little bit harder, in the midst of them, you always look back and say, that was one of the most incredible times. And it was. And that's why we continue to go, um, go down there. Hope and life in Christ isn't just for me to enjoy, for us to enjoy, but we're led to share it. Even in places where we have to speak a deeper language than English or Spanish. You know, Rob Bell said something like, what would it be like if we walked around for a while with duct tape on our mouths? Other than it would be painful to take it off, you know, the idea of would Christ, would Christ still be emanating from us? Would people still see the life of Christ in us um, through our actions? And that's always a good thing to be wondering in, in missions projects. But, you know, I have, I, have, I have one little problem with that because the idea of mission has to go beyond mission projects. There's something problematic about saying, well, our mission is... Our mission is is these projects. I mean, these are incredible things that we believe in. Um, you know, but the problem, the reason it's insufficient is because it's not a call. That's not the call for all of us. I mean, how many of you are planning on maybe, you know, going on some kind of mission trip this year? I mean, just show of hands. All right. Balcony needs a little work. <laughs> Up top. So, you know, in here, what, what that, maybe that was 50 hands. I don't know. I'm not a good estimator. I need Ryan Long's estimating skills up here. Uh, I saw maybe 50 hands. Well, are only 50 of us called to mission then because it's mission is just represented by mission projects? No. There's something deeper, um, something that everyone is called to. And I think that may lie in what we've already talked about. So let's come back to God and Abraham you know, we had this idea with God that he said, you and your nation will bless others. I will bless you, but you will bless others. And then Jesus took that further in so many ways. Um, you know, all men will know me if you love one another. So Jesus calls us, all of us, not just a few people who are those who are missionaries or who carry out mission projects, but Jesus calls all of us to demonstrate his way of living, 
his way of loving. And that's a really big order. That's a, that's a really high calling for us. That's why last week, as Todd was talking about Saul, uh, the language that's used in, in, in the book of Acts is, you know, Saul sought out members of the way, followers of the way. It, it didn't call them Christians then. That's not how it translates for us. But members of the way. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, it's a very action-oriented word. The men and women in the early church of Acts were followers of a way of life. They weren't just people who said, I'm a Christian or I believe in Jesus. But no, they were followers of the way of Christ. The way of Jesus of Nazareth. It was so much more than belief. And it should be for all of us. So back to that question. What is our greatest mission? Well, it's pretty simple, right? To reflect the way of Jesus to the world around us. And maybe that's how we carry out bringing the kingdom of God to a world desperate for it, as Todd said. If you're here this morning, you're most likely discovering what it means to follow the way of Jesus. Not simply to believe, but to become like him. And that's a big task. But as we've always said, you know, when I first came into the high school group here, we always said, well, why would we first go down and initiate a project, say, say a building project somewhere, a mission project, if we aren't first learning to love the people around us in our school? You know, what about the mission around us, which is to portray Christ to the world? You know, why are, why are we doing any projects at all as a church if we aren't first learning, learning, and this is a process, isn't it, how to love our enemies? You know, bless those who curse you. That's a, that's a really tough one. Why are we doing these projects if we aren't learning to be peacemakers in our families? You know, speak words of peace. Why are we doing these things if we aren't learning to forgive those who hurt us? Why are we traveling to Peru if we aren't learning in this place to be the servant among us? Why would we take a van that will be smelly once we get to Juarez, to Juarez, because it's a long, hot trip to Juarez, why are we doing that if we aren't learning here how to surrender our worry? You know, I'm so worried. I'm just consumed with the worries of this life. Why are we doing any of these things if we aren't learning to know Jesus? So we could go on forever about those things, right? The teachings, the core of who Jesus was. That's what it means to follow the way would be to live out some of those things. And I didn't just pull those out of the hat. I pulled those from Jesus, right? Matthew 5 through 7. I just pulled a few ideas. The Sermon on the Mount. Just a few. And in this season that we call Lent, where we're leading towards Easter, maybe we should also consider the ultimate way of Christ. And what way was that? Well, that was the way that led to the cross. The way of loneliness. The way of suffering. A man acquainted with sorrow, right? That's what we say. The ultimate way of Christ. So, if we reflect on these qualities, hopefully we can embrace and follow that way. And I think that would be fulfilling our deepest mission. I was thinking back to my sporting days, and many of you don't know this, but I was going to be an Olympic athlete, but I just decided on another route in life. And so in my early, in my early training, I was involved in many sports, and I have this habit in life it seems like, I just noticed at first service, of getting involved with people who are better than me at whatever sport it is I try out. So, 
I mean, we're talking about skiing and snowboarding. I was always trying to keep up with the, the Matts and the, Matt McPherson and Brandon Russell and, and, and Ty Ellick and these guys when I was in high school, and I, and I broke bones because I was not as good as them. And when I was in fifth and sixth grade, fifth and sixth grade, all my buddies were, they were rollerbladers. Uh, junior high, you might not know what those are. They had these things back in the mid-90s called rollerblades, and uh, they were huge. And I had some buddies in fifth and sixth grade that they built this ramp in their backyard, this half pipe, and my buddies could rollerblade like nobody's business, and I just hurt myself, you know. I, just ne- I was never good enough. Soccer, you know, I was, on, I was a member of the Riverside Renegades in, in, in junior high, and I was on the best team, and I was the worst player. And how did I get on the best team? Well, you know, my, my best buddy's dad was the coach, and so somehow I slipped in, slipped in with the Riverside Renegades, and I, I never amounted to much on the team. But I didn't. It's true. We went to lots of championships, and I watched from the sidelines. Um, I had a nickname. Some of the college guys still call me by my nickname. They called me Stork because I, I run like a stork straight up and down. And... Um, that's what they call me. They still call me that. I guess I run funny. We had this thing when I was a Riverside Renegade. We had this thing at the beginning of practice called five laps. And these laps were probably 20 miles each. I don't know. I may be severely uh, overestimating. Again, I need Ryan. but and They weren't that long, but they were long laps. I don't know. Our coach set out these cones, and we ran five laps, beginning of every practice. Well, what was the idea of five laps? Everybody on the team... Had, he, our coach kept strict records of our, our running ability and our times and everything. So uh, everybody on the team had to make it in under four minutes. Sometimes he'd float that time. Like if he was in a good mood, it'd be like 4.05. And if he was in a bad mood, it'd be like 3.55. Everybody on the team had to get in under that time. If the whole team didn't get in under that time, the whole team ran five laps again. Well, guess who was always last? Yes, Me. I was always fighting for my life. You know, I was like, Stork, let's go. Get the lead out of your pants. Come on, you can do it. You know, uh, it was every, every practice, I dreaded it. It was the first thing, you know. Get, you know, I had to get, get, get it all out of me, everything in my heart to make it in. And I was always right on the border. It was always like 3.59 or on a bad week, it was, you know, a minute slower. And the whole team hated me and beat me up after practice. Traum- traumatizing, okay? Still recovering. What's the point of all this story? You know, if there hadn't been that rule that the whole team get in under five minutes or four minutes, I probably would have run a lot slower. As much as I dreaded that thing, it made me run faster. It, 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 made me, it forced me to be a better athlete. It forced me to be a better runner and kick in. Because the philosophy there was we sink or swim as a team. We are all going to achieve a certain level or it's not good enough. And again, as painful as that was, I respect the idea because I think there's something to be said there in terms of the church. We never want to become the church that has a few superstars that take care of business or the people that do the missions projects. Yes, we need those people. We need all those things because we value them. But we're a team together. And as a team, there's a a bar that's been set. There's a level that's been set for us to, to rise to. And that is this idea of missional living this idea that we are all followers of the way, and we all have a mission. We all have a task, and that is to demonstrate God's blessing, to demonstrate Christ's love in our lives. And yes, that takes a lifetime of work to figure out what that means. But, but shame on us if we are, as a church, we only have a few that run that race. No, we all run that race. 
I'm counting on you to run that race with me, and I hope you're counting on me to do that as well and to show Christ to the world around us. So give it some thought, the idea of mission and how we work together towards that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can track with you through your scriptures and we can see the incredible way you reach into humanity and make covenant with Abraham all the way down the line. And your ultimate covenant and love is with Christ to us. And what an incredible love, the heaven that came down. And you called us to a living that would reflect you. We are by no means there. We fall so short of that love. But it's what we hope for as a church. And it's each of our calling and tasks to be that, Father. We're excited to see all that you've put in front of us in terms of projects this year, God. We just pray that um, we could find the way to support each and every one of those projects, God, and that you would be behind those. Help us to do that. But in a greater sense, in our daily lives, God, help us to carry out the task of knowing you, Jesus, and learning what it means to show you to others. And what a privilege to have that opportunity. What a mystery that you would include us in your love and call us to be your love. We can't understand it, but we thank you, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Have a good morning.